wish I was feeling great, but I'm not feeling very good. This cold has gotten the better of me. And uh, so this morning, uh, I uh, got up early and preparing for today, and I took some drugs. I love being a Christian, you know. You get drugs and prayer. It's a great combination. Only to find out that I took the wrong drugs. My, my wife had left me some drugs on the counter, and I didn't really pay attention to what I was doing, and I took a nighttime one. So technically, I'm the only one that's allowed to fall asleep this morning in my sermon. <laughs> that being said, let's uh, dive into the word. Kids, you are dismissed to your children's ministry, and nursery is open, and nursing moms up in the nursing moms area here, so feel free to avail yourself of those things. Uh, we're going to look at, a, I, I guess, a serious topic this morning. I mean, not any more serious than life can become quite serious at times. Um, we're going to continue on in our series on prayer, but this time we want to look at something called lamenting prayer. And I think lamenting prayer is in some ways a forgotten art. Um, as you listen to yourself pray... And as you listen to prayer meetings and when you gather to pray, it's not often that we hear lamenting prayers. And the reason, I believe, is because we're not good at really letting go of some of our turmoil. We're not really good at offering to God the sacrifice of praise. And so instead, we try to convince ourselves through our prayers that everything's going to be okay. And you notice it when you're praying together, you get, you get a kind of a, a surge of energy or a surge of feeling that, you know, it's all going to happen. God's just going to come through. It's going to, it's going to make all the difference in the world. And praise God, He does. Amen? He comes through. But does that mean that he always comes through the way we expect or want him to? No, it doesn't. And so this morning, we want to look at sort of what I would call the master of lament. In fact, he wrote an entire book of the Bible that is called Lamentations. If you want to get depressed, read those. <laughs> You may surprise you to know that 50 out of 150 psalms, so one-third of the psalms, are classified as lamenting psalms. And if you get into them, you start to hear things like, oh, God, smash my enemies' babies' heads against the rocks. And you're like, whoa, time to move on from that one. But the truth of it is, not only is it in Scripture, and therefore we can avail of lamenting prayers because they're in Scripture, but you can sense as you go through the volume of prayers that are lamenting prayers, encouraging us to lament in our prayers. Now, there seems to be in Scripture this dichotomy. As you go through the lamenting prayers and as you study this prayer that we're going to look at in Jeremiah 20 today, it's the place 
of lament is, uh, the, the placement of lament, rather, is before Yahweh, is before God. If I take my lament and I turn it into a complaint to other people, that's a sin. So what am I supposed to do? So instead of turning to my friends and saying, you know what, Pastor Kevin, he's such a jerk. I can't believe the way he said that to me. It really hurt my feelings. That's a sin. But if I take it to God, Pastor Kevin is such a jerk. He hurt my feelings. Oh, God, rescue me from that jerk. That's not a sin. Did you catch that? If I turn my complaint to my brother or my sister, it can become a sin very quickly because you are now attacking a brother or a sister verbally in front of people who can do absolutely nothing about it. Did you hear that? And so when you come to the prayers of lament, you can be shocked even by what is said because in your prayer to God, your theology doesn't matter. You can say whatever you feel. And in fact, the translators, even of the passage we're about to read, the translators of the scriptures have tried to put the most positive spin possible on the words that have been chosen for these lament prayers. Which is actually not great because it, it somehow diminishes it. And so we need to learn that when we go through hard times, it's okay to lament that you're going through hard times. It's okay. You have permission from God. Now, the other part of lament is that you don't always get the answer you want. In fact, if I get it right, I would say that most of the time you don't get an answer. To your problems. In fact, the answer you get, as Jeremiah found out, may not even be comforting. It may be like when your dad used to scold you. You know, you come with a broken something or other, and he looks at you and he says, buck up. Toughen up. That could be the answer you get in lament. That doesn't feel very good as we're going to find out in just a moment. So Jeremiah, now, uh, we're going to focus on, on Jeremiah because I consider him to be kind of the master of lamenting, although King David was pretty good at it too. Especially when you can write an entire book that's called Lamentations. It's a book full of prayers that are sad, that are broken. Now, we have at our disposal, thankfully, historical documents that show that it did actually come out right. And that has to be something we tuck away in our brains when it comes to lamenting prayers. Because sometimes the prayer, especially this one, for example, you're going to find that it's going to end and suddenly you're going to come to the end and kind of go, okay, so, so what does God do? How does he solve this? Because that's what we want. We even want it in the story of Scripture. But it doesn't happen that way. In fact, the final part of this prayer is a question. Why was I born? <laughs> now, that's actually a big question. <laughs> but there's silence after that. There's no answer. God gives them another word to prophesy, in fact. 
Hmm. All right. Everybody got their place in Scripture? Jeremiah 20? Do you have it there? So to set this up, the first six verses are Jeremiah finding himself, obviously, being persecuted, which is, it's kind of like bread and butter of Jeremiah. Persecuted, alone, abandoned, suffering in sorrow and, and lots of shame. So he gets arrested, and then he gets beaten. So this beating is what's called the 40 minus 1, which is they beat the bottom of your feet. 40 minus 1, so 39 times. Can you imagine the excruciating pain that would be? You can't. I mean, how do we get there? We can't really establish that because unless you have been tortured, anybody here been tortured? Some people have been. By having your feet beat on the bottoms, on the soles. And then after that was finished, more than likely he was naked, so he was to be shamed. And he was put into what's called stocks. And a stock is where your hands and your feet are at the same angle. So you're put into stocks so that your feet and your hands are the same place. And it's very comfortable because it bends you and it holds you down. You can't move. And if you try to move, it creates pain. This is what he was in all night because he was prophesying, because he was actually declaring the word of God. So in the midst of this struggle and in the midst of this pain and sorrow, this priest who is kind of like the officer in charge of everything finally lets him go. And Jeremiah is so angry. He has a name that means gladness. And so Jeremiah says, from now on, you'll be known as the terror bringer. <laughs> That's going to be your new name for now, from now forward because he just brought terror on every side. He was an evil man even though he was a religious leader in Israel. So then we pick up now this prayer. Now this is, I should tell you, this is the third of three prayers. And we're not going to sp- focus too much. We'll, we'll mention the other two, but we'll, we'll dig into this one. Okay? So you can almost imagine they're a bit progressive. Each prayer is a little deeper, a little more full of pain and anguish and agony. And then he comes to this. O oh Lord, you deceived me. And I was deceived. Now, when's the last time you called God a liar? Anybody? You lied to me! Whoa. Are you sure you shouldn't just be moving around just in case a lightning bolt hits? You see, that's how we think, right? We're thinking we're not allowed to unleash. But I want you to set that aside just for a little while. And I want you to see that this prophet is praying what he really feels. Now, does he believe that God is his deceiver? Probably not, because we're going to get to something else in the middle of this prayer that suggests otherwise. But for now, this is where he's at. I also want to mention that when he says, you deceive me, that's where the, the translators are using the nicest word possible. So the translators, if they were going to make it plain, would say, you raped me, you seduced me, you overpowered me, and you raped me. That's what that means. Wow. 
That's quite something to accuse God of. Are you allowed to do that? Yeah, you are. You overpowered me and you prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering, terror on every side. Report him. Let's report him. All of my friends are waiting for me to slip up, saying perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take revenge on him. Things aren't going well <laughs> in, Je in Jeremiah's life. What do you think? Hey? Hmm. Now, he changes gears. He says, but. All right? Love the buts in Scripture. But. The Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. And so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fall and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. In fact, we're mentioning it here today. O Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and the mind, let me see your vengeance upon them. For to you I have committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Okay, and you think, all right. That's the way all good prayer should be. You pour out your heart to God, and he changes your heart, and you start to worship him, right? Doesn't that make sense logically? That's the way we want it to be too, isn't it? We want to be able to pour out our heart, and then we want God to bring us to a place where now we're singing his praises. That all sounds good, except that's the middle of the prayer. It keeps going. Verse 14, cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. I hope it wasn't August 10th. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, a child is born to you, a son. May the man be like the town the Lord overthrew with no pity. May he hear walking in the morning a battle cry at noon, for he did not kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave. Her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow end to end my days of shame? Now, hold on. Wouldn't it be but much nicer if he'd have closed the prayer with the praise the Lord thing? Wouldn't it have been? Hello, are you with me? Doesn't it seem odd to you that he didn't? Doesn't it strike you as bizarre that in the middle he gives God all this praise, he's a warrior, he's on my side, he's going to come to my rescue, and then he turns into this morbid thing where he wishes his mother's womb was his grave. And that's the end of the prayer. How do you feel about that? So 
several years ago, I read a book called Disappointment with God. How many of you have had disappointments with God? Come on, let's see your honest hands. Let's, okay, sure. Okay, now let's do it again, only this time, everybody be honest. How many of you have had disappointments with God? He's disappointed you in some way. Okay, fair enough. Most of us in this room have had disappointments with God. Sometimes things happen that we don't have an answer to. There is no solution. There's no logical reason why. And the only thing we could come up with is that we live in a broken, fallen world, and it's the results of sin. But that brings little or no comfort at all. It maybe gives us something to hang our pain on, but at that point, it stops. It stops at our theology because, yes, it's true, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that the sin of Adam is the curse of all humanity. Agreed? But what does that do to comfort you in the midst of your pain? How does that soothe your emotions? How does it soothe your heart? It doesn't. Especially when the pain is real and the suffering is deep and the persecution seems to never end and the story doesn't stop. It keeps going and every time I turn the page, it gets worse. Are you with me? Is God abandoned me? Or is, has, has God abandoned me? Has he not heard my cries? I am so disappointed. He seems unfair, the book goes on to say. He seems like he's silent when I need him most. He seems hidden. Where is he? Anybody? Hello? These are prayers that can come from the heart, and they're okay to pray. In fact, not just okay, they are encouraged and supported by the authority of Scripture to pour out your heart to God when all seems at a loss. Hmm. He doesn't answer my questions sometimes the way I want him to. As I mentioned, over 50 times in the Psalms, the psalm is devoted to a lament. 50 out of 150, one-third. Many of the prophets break into prayers. Job himself broke into prayers that were lamentive. They were full of sorrow, expressing your confusion. It's okay. I don't get it. I'm perplexed. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm in anguish because of that. Because it doesn't make sense, I'm in even more anguish. So I'm in anguish because of what's happened, but I'm even deeper anguish because I don't understand it. Are you with me? There has to be a place for us to unburden ourselves of these things. And thankfully there is. It's called the prayer of lament. And if you don't know how to do that very well, you've got 50 psalms to choose from and several prayers from the book of Jeremiah. Borrow one or two. Just borrow them. They will give words to your feelings. I think that drug made my mouth dry. <clears throat> I think from my own perspective, this is just my own perspective in my own life, I think I have 
by and large, left this dimension of prayer off my pages. By and large, I think that's true for me. How about for you? Maybe you're good at lament. Praise God if you are. You're probably a very at rest in your soul of souls kind of person. And I need to improve. I need to become like Jeremiah. You know, he ministered for 42 years and not one person responded. 42 years. That'd be like hiring me 42 years ago and having us preach here every Sunday and minister among us and never see anything done for the kingdom. <laughs> Yikes. God had promised him, though, that this would happen. No one would listen to him. But he also promised he would be with him. And the problem with the lamenting prayers with Jeremiah is that, yes, he remembers the promises that God is a warrior and he will faithfully be with me. But at the end of the day, he doesn't feel like he is. Every time he looks around, all he sees is people who hate him, who curse him who are just ready for him to slip up at a moment's notice and toss him into jail. Even the king, Jehoiakim, made it clear that he was enemy number one of the people. And so on site was to be arrested. How do you minister publicly with that kind of threat hanging over your head? Always. It never leaves. In fact, he was eventually arrested thrown into a pit, which King Nebuchadnezzar saved him from. The Babylonians came. The very thing he had been prophesying. That's the thing about Jeremiah's prophecies, is that they were taking so long to be fulfilled. So everybody started wondering if what he was saying was true, if he wasn't a false prophet, because whatever he was saying wasn't happening. But eventually we know, and Jeremiah also knew, because he was rescued by the very king he had warned the people of Jerusalem about, Nebuchadnezzar the Babylonian. So we have the, we have the uh, advantage of the end of the story, but not in the midst of it. In the midst of it, even your story, do you know the end of your story? Well, yes, we kind of do, don't we? We kind of know the end. We understand that Jesus, the king of kings, will come back. We understand that with our heads, and maybe a little bit with our hearts, it gets us a little bit excited, but unfortunately, it doesn't always carry the day. Now, we haven't forgotten that He's going to do that, but in the midst of our sorrow and our struggle, we can easily forget this is not forever. Paul even called them light and momentary troubles. The Apostle Paul, who was also beaten and forsaken, and, but at least he saw some fruit. But he said these light and momentary troubles, in light of eternity, they're not much. Even your number of days aren't great. You think about the history of this world, you get to be in about 70 or 80 of them, right? Not much. That's why the Scriptures calls our life sometimes a vapor. Poof. So in the middle of those 70 years, it doesn't always feel like triumph. It doesn't always feel like God's going to come to this earth. Hallelujah. Now, he could come tomorrow, praise God. And we pray, Maranatha, come quickly. But at the same time, we also understand he may not. So what? Now what? We go through hardship and struggle 
and sorrow and remorse and regret and pain and suffering and sickness. We go through it. And guilt and shame. And sometimes it mounts up in our soul so much that we just want to scream at somebody. And thankfully there is permission to scream at somebody. And it's not your wife or your husband or your kids or your neighbor or your church mate. You know who it's possible to scream at? The king of the universe. This is a lament. Now remember I said this is the third of three. The first one's found in Jeremiah 12. We won't go through them just for time's sake. However, as I spill everywhere, <clears throat> the first one is similar. And he says, you know, why all this suffering, why all this turmoil, why all this trouble, why all this persecution? And then God's answer is, you think it's harsh now? It's going to get worse. That's his answer. Not the one he was hoping for. You think it's tough now? It's going to get way worse before it ever gets better. Why does Scripture have this type of honesty in it? Why? So we can know it's okay to lament, and we can know it's okay for us to understand life not just from our brains, but from our hearts too. It's okay. They may be at odds. Your brain and your heart may not be in line. Because you know the promises of Scripture. You know them, right? But your heart just isn't there. In fact, your heart is being crushed. We're going to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians from Paul where he talks about that very thing. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. The second prayer is found in chapter 15. And he pours out, he, says, he starts out by, Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? Why are you like the promise of a spring that now suddenly when I come to it is a mirage? It's, a, it's dry. There's no water in it. Why are you like that? You know what God's answer is this time? Repent. Repent because the words you're giving to the people of Israel are so heavy and so serious, I need an extra level of commitment from you now. The answer to his deep prayers about why am I suffering so much is repent and get ready to give some more bad news. Only I'm upping the stakes. Folks, this is real stuff. And it's crying out from the pages, it's okay to be lamentative in your prayers. And then we come to this prayer. The first part... You deceived me. You tricked me. You seduced me. I feel violated. If I don't say something. So he had in his mind, I'm going to stop preaching. What happened? He said, I tried to stop preaching, but the pressure inside of me was so great, I couldn't help but preach. I had to prophesy. It was more miserable not preaching than it was preaching with all the persecution. Imagine that. Not only that, but when it comes to fruit, there's none. Only hatred and curses. Can you imagine being around a group of people that every time they saw you, all they did was curse at you? 
Can you imagine? Well, maybe some of you have had experiences like that in some of your families, or maybe going through school, being bullied. Maybe some of you have a taste of that, but I'm just talking about a taste. This is drinking the whole bottle. Okay, this is drinking it all up because every single day of his entire ministry career, he was cursed, 42 years of it. Cursed, cursed, cursed. It even goes so far as God warns him. He says, your family, don't trust them. They're going to curse you too. I can't even trust my family. The fact that he pours out his heart in worship in the middle of this prayer gives us a little taste of hope. You know the story of the rich man in hell, and he calls out to Abraham, you know, just dip your finger in some water and let it drip on my tongue. That's about as much hope as you get out of that prayer, but you still get some. You get a little bit of hope. He remembers the promises that God has made to him, and he remembers that he commits his cause to the Lord afresh, and he remembers that his promises will prevail, and he remembers that he is a rescuing warrior. I think I heard, heard you sing rescuer. And I can trust him. In the end, he will not let me down. My cause is his cause. Verse 14, I curse the day I was born. You see, lament counters a very false narrative that flies around, especially churches. It's an overly romantic view of if I live my life right, everything will be okay. That is a lie. Did you hear me? If I do what God says, if I obey Him, well, then it's all going to be okay. Now, there's a level in which that is true, isn't it? Which level is that? Eternity. Right, heaven, eternity in heaven, that is true. But as long as I'm here, it may not be true. It may not come full circle. It may not resolve itself. It may not help me in the end. It may only bring more pain, and I'm doing the right thing. The temptation then is to therefore what? Not do the right thing, which only leads to even greater pain. Are you hearing his words? If I don't do what I'm supposed to do, the pain of that is even more severe than if I just do what I'm supposed to do. These kinds of prayers are hard to find in the modern church. Even our songs, many of the psalms that are laments are actually songs. You sing your lament. How many of our songs this morning, for example, were lament songs? Any of them? Were any, Stacy? Mm hmm. There was a hint of that, a breeze, right? But if you just go week to week by week, how many times do we, as a corporate body, lament? <laughs> I can't remember any since I've been here. There's been times when our prayer meetings started to feel like a lament. This week I had a prayer with somebody that was definitely lamenting. You know what the answer was? I don't have an answer. That was the answer. 
truthfully, I'm at a loss. I don't know how to help you. All I can do is pray. And Paul gives us words for that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, pray that the God of all comfort would comfort you in all your sufferings and your grief. It doesn't say that he'll take away your suffering and your grief. You know what it says? He will comfort you in your suffering and your grief. That is partial lament. That is partially a lament. Jesus himself, he is our master. He lamented. The king of kings, who was also known as the man of sorrows. When he got to that garden, and he says in the scripture that his soul was troubled. In Matthew 26, he was troubled and sorrowful. Jesus, the son of God, his soul was troubled and sorrowful. And you know how he handles it? He goes to prayer and he says, my soul is very sorrowful, uh, sorrowful, even to death. And he says to his disciples, remain here and pray with me. And he goes a little further and he falls on his face and he says, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. That's a lament. Did you hear it? But then the surrender. Not what I want, what you want. Not my will, but your will. What was the answer to that prayer? Did he remove the cup of sorrow? Thank God he didn't. Thank God he did not remove that cup of sorrow. Hallelujah. Our Savior went to that cross because God did not respond to his lament. Hallelujah. Come on now. This is our king. This is our example. He comes back a little while later. What are they doing? Sleeping. Could you not watch with me one hour in my anguish? See how frail we are? How broken we are? Then on the cross, probably the darkest moment of the cross, just before he lifted up his, his voice and cried out and died. Just before that, what did he say? My God, my God, why, why? There's a question. Why? How many times have you asked God why? 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 Come on now. How many times? Why did this happen to me? Why did this happen to my wife? Why did this happen to my husband? Why did this happen to me physically? Why did it happen to me in my work? Why, 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 why? And we got a list of whys as long as we can imagine. What was the answer? What was the answer? Why have you forsaken me? What was the answer? Silence. From his heavenly father. Folks. This is a New Testament context, context as well. Silence from the heavens. In fact, some people heard him. You know what they tried to do? They tried to fix the problem, and they went out and got some sour wine and gave it to him. He's obviously needing some drugs here. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm sorry. Yeah, he needed some drugs. So they thought they'd give it to him. That was their solution. But did that stop anything? No. 
he finally died. And all I can say is thank you. Thank you, God, that you did not answer. Because if you would have, somehow things would have been different and it's not going to change. Oh, God, thank you for that. Paul, if you want to, turn with me for this one. This is a really good one. This was really ministered to my soul when I was going through hardship. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Sorry for breathing heavy into the mic. <laughs> Maybe we won't have this recorded online. There's too much huffing and puffing. Chapter 4, starting at verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay. This treasure, of course, is Christ in us. And the jars of clay are what? Fragile. Fragile pots. Look at your neighbor and say, you have a fragile pot. <laughs> it speaks to our fragility. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are, so we, not just me, we, including who? Everybody who believes. We are afflicted in every way. Is that a lament? That's a lament. We are afflicted in every way. But not crushed. There is still space for hope in our souls. No matter what you're going through, like, like Jeremiah, right in the middle of his prayer, there's space for hope, but it doesn't always help with how you feel. It's helpful, but your feelings can still remain. Look at what's next. Perplexed, but not in despair. It's a play on Greek words. It means I'm at a loss, but not completely at a loss. I'm at a loss. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to help you. I don't know how to encourage you. I don't know how to pray for you. I don't know how to support you. I don't know anything. All I need to do is just pray a lament for you. Oh, may the God of all comfort comfort you. May the God of all comfort comfort you. Say that with me. May the God of all comfort comfort you. Nine, persecuted, but not forsaken. Now, that is a really key one. Because in Christ, he faced our, our forsakenness. Because God will never leave us nor forsake us, correct? But in how we feel, we may feel forsaken. Where are you, God? Who's asked that question before? All of us, where are you? So we are not forsaken. We can be persecuted, but not forsaken. He never leaves us. We can be struck down, but not destroyed. Now, there is a great promise. Jesus said, though you die, yet you will live. So you can be struck down, but 
not destroyed. The life you carry is indestructible. But that does not affect how you feel. It affects, obviously, the fact, the truth helps, and it can set you free, but you can still feel very distraught. You can feel like you're being destroyed. Do you follow the logic of lament? Are you following it? Nod your head if you get it. Um, if you're not getting it, talk to somebody who just nodded their heads. Okay? This is an art. This is a, this is a kind of prayer that's given permission in the Scriptures and instruction even that is valuable well past our trite comments. It's going to be okay. It may not be okay. But the God of all comfort will comfort you. Sometimes I don't know what to pray. <laughs> you know, like Jeremiah, Paul played, prayed three times that God would take away his pain, his suffering, his messenger of Satan, he called it. And three times God said, what? My grace will be enough for you. That is not a great answer. Or is it? It is and it isn't. It's a great answer because we know that He'll sustain us. He'll carry us through this hardship. That way's great. But what happens is I still, I still have my pain. He still had His messenger of Satan that never went away until He died. As far as we know, anyway. So, in these times, Romans chapter 8 gives us hope. Romans 8.26 says this in the same way. The Spirit helps us <laughs> in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes with groans. I like that. Groans. And sometimes those groans, you know, if you have the gift of tongue, sometimes they come out as a tongue. Have you noticed that, those of you who have that gift? Have you noticed sometimes it comes out, you go to pray and it's just bang, it's a tongue. It's a groan. You have no idea what you're saying. It bypasses your head and it comes directly from your heart. But it's good. It's a healthy gift. Not all of us have that luxury. Some of us don't have that gift. We have other gifts. But the Spirit Himself can intercede with groans even if we don't have the gift of tongues. You just stand there with your mouth open. groans that words cannot express. Hallelujah. Do you think lamenting is for New Testament people too? Absolutely. Because sometimes you just don't know what to pray. Your mind kicks in and you start casting out devils and demon work and you go to battle. But at the end of the day, you're finished your prayer and nothing changes. Then what do you do? May the God of all comfort comfort you. Because there's something in this that he has 
I don't know what it is. I can't. I'm at a loss. You're probably at a loss. Let's just commit ourselves to the gracious hand of God and pray for each other. Oh, the God of all comfort, comfort you so that, so that you may comfort others with the same comfort you have received. It's not about solving the problems, is it? Hello? Are you with me? It's not about solving the problems. It's about comforting each other with the comfort we ourselves have received. I'm at a loss. Thank you for turning that off. How do you feel this morning? Does your feeling match up with your head faith? Or is your heart a little behind? It's okay. It's okay. May the God of all comfort comfort you. We need to be more tender with each other. Tender-hearted is an Old Testament, or uh, sorry, an old King James word. Tender-hearted. It's a good word. Where we're not quite so quick to judge people because they may be going through something you have no idea that they're going through. Instead, it's much wiser to be tender-hearted and treat each other with the kindness of God and pray for one another. Absolutely. But make sure that if the prayer doesn't change what's going on, that we begin to change midship. May the God of all comfort comfort you. May the God of all comfort. Matt, just let it roll off your tongue as quickly as you can. Pray it often. Pray it regularly. Pray it for yourself. Pray it for those you know are struggling. May the God of all comfort comfort you. The prayers of lament. They're there for our taking. Let's take and use them. Let's become good at lament. <laughs> Not something a church usually wants to be known for. We are a church that knows how to lament. Maybe it just means we know how to be honest and tender-hearted and real. Not plastic. Oh, it's all good. No, it's not. In Jesus' name, we receive this word on lament with some, maybe even some skepticism, but we receive it nonetheless because we know that in this life, we will have trouble. Jesus promised it. You will have trouble. But we also know that you can comfort us in the midst of our trouble. Thank you for Jeremiah. Thank you for the reprieve right in the middle of his prayer that points us heavenward, that the, really the only hope is in you. You are a mighty warrior. That doesn't always change how we feel. Because sometimes how we feel is just yucky because of what we're going through. Help us to find voice to our prayers through lament.
In the name of Jesus, amen.